Well, good morning. Can you believe another Thanksgiving has passed? What happened? Does it seem like we celebrated last year and again here we are? Another one has passed. I hope everyone had a great time with their family and, and friends as you celebrated around eh, probably a pretty large meal. I know I kind of walked, they had to roll me out. I ate so much. I, Kathy put so much on my plate, I couldn't. I had to eat it. I, I had to eat it all. No, she didn't. I did it. Just kept pouring it on. But it was good. Hope you all had a, a great time. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting as we look back at, at Thanksgiving and the effect it has on us in our lives. Um, you know, I was grew up, my family was, you know, always having Thanksgiving, and they were big Thanksgiving and lots of meals, lots, I mean, a lot of food. I mean, a lot of food. My grandmother was, in Matt, you'll like this, she was from Georgia. And um, she loved to cook. And I still remember growing up as a little kid, you know, days before going to the house, and you open up the door to the house, and you just smell this, the makings of pie. I mean, fresh, thick crust pie just being cooked. And it just filled the air, and you couldn't wait until Thanksgiving because of the filling. You, know, you wanted the filling, not just the, the pie crust. But I always look forward to that. Uh, my grandmother was a great cook. But then she had uh, something else that was kind of special. Maybe in your families you have the same thing, where you have uh, family members or grandmother or grandfather or father or mother, they had this secret recipe. Everybody has a secret recipe, right? And it seems like the older generation had all kinds of secret recipes that they weren't going to share with you. Okay? And so I was always looking forward to this secret recipe my grandmother had. It was uh, turkey stuffing. And there was two kinds. It was a bread stuffing. And another one was kind of unusual. It was a potato stuffing. Um, it was like mashed potato, but it had all kinds of seasoning in it and celery and onion and, and I don't know what else is in there. But um, I don't think we, we never did get that secret recipe. We tried to figure it out. We came close, yeah. But it was never, it's never the same as grandma's, right? So we always look forward to those uh, special meals around the table. And of course, we'd stuff ourselves. But um, those are wonderful days. You know, as you reflect on them, uh, good times with family, you know, brothers and sisters, grandparents, parents, friends. Um, just a good time. And they go by so swiftly. You know, I just look back in all my years here, I, you know, the Thanksgiving seemed to come like, uh, the next Thanksgiving will be next week. You know, there's a gap of seven days, but it's really 365 days that seem like one week. And like the Lord says, you know, the time is like the vapor of a cloud. It's like the wisp of a cloud. It's just there and gone. And that's the way our Thanksgivings, they come and they go. Um, but we had a great time. But um, you want to put the first slide up? Thanksgiving has kind of gotten interesting because even the turkeys are beginning to not like Thanksgiving. And uh, I kind of got a kick out of this one, you know, about the turkeys coming together. and says, hey, can we skip that this year? <laughs> you know, you, you think that, wow, how true is that? Because not only 
in reality is is true, but a lot of people that I know now, they don't think of Thanksgiving as that great holiday that many of us think of it as, as you know, coming together as a family and, and giving thanks uh, for what we've got. And, and uh, as a believer, of course, there's reasons to give thanks. We have many reasons to give thanks from the scriptures. But um, it's kind of gotten funny because I remember each year, too, there's a time where even the president of the United States gets engaged with pardoning a turkey. Every year, they pardon a turkey. The turkey escapes the axe and lives another year. But we've seen that over time that uh, Thanksgiving celebrations just has lost their original meaning. You know, it used to have a lot of religious significance to it. Um, instead, it really, you see, it centers a lot on cooking and pie making and, and uh, getting pies at Costco. And, and um, we see, you know, we look forward to a bountiful meal, but it's more than that. You look forward, oh, yeah, there's a football game on Thursday. You know, everybody wants to watch the football game on Thanksgiving Day. And I don't know what it's like. I stopped watching football. Is Dallas, I don't know, is Dallas still playing on Thanksgiving? So they, they played for Thanksgiving forever. And I used to watch it every Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, people are so focused on that. It's like they're more focused on watching the Dallas game on Thursday than they are celebrating a meal and giving thanks for the, the food, right? Well, there's also the Macy's Parade. You always look forward to the Macy's Parade. Wow, it came on this year after, what, a couple years of not having it because of COVID. Even Kathy, you were watching the, I was surprised you were watching Thanksgiving Parade. But uh, people look forward to that because it's something that they, it, it, to celebrate um, another Thanksgiving day. Well, what was it like 500 years ago when the first Thanksgiving occurred here in the U.S.? Well, can you imagine 500 years ago, do you think there was a Costco on the neighborhood corner? No. Uh, how about Safeway? Was there a Safeway that they could go in and get some fresh produce? No. Even worse than that, um, there were no roads. No electricity, no indoor plumbing. In other words, like they were camping out. Okay, we're going to camp out and have a big Thanksgiving meal. Can you imagine preparing a Thanksgiving meal, camping out? Well, that's what it was like 500 years ago. They had no electricity, no shelter, no dishwashers except for their hands. Had plenty of hands. No refrigerators, no cars, no airplanes. So much different 500 years ago than today. And when you look back of 500 years ago to where we are today, wow, can we give thanks? Just in the simple things. Wow, we have planes, airplanes, railroads. It's amazing. We have all these places that we can shop for groceries. Good reason to give thanks. Well, even back then, they gave thanks. 
Um, it's interesting to see how Thanksgiving, the turkey, has become synonymous with Thanksgiving. I mean, there was discussions on the radio and TV. Ah, where are we going to get turkeys this year? You know, we got this big supply chain problem. No turkeys are going to be available. If you go out there late, two or three days before Thanksgiving, you may not have a turkey. I don't know what it was like. I, I understand people got their turkeys. I don't know anybody that missed out. But nevertheless, um, turkey is synonymous with, with, uh, with this holiday. And, um, but I don't think they had the turkeys then that we have today. Maybe a little bit different. So what I want to do this morning is kind of peel back the, the pages of time and see what some of the historians said about that first Thanksgiving day. What was it like? And um, let's see what they said about the Plymouth colonists. Now, does anybody know why they called them the Plymouth colonists? It's kind of interesting because our assembly is background is from the Plymouth Brethren. <laughs> um, well, there was Plymouth, England, where they left. That was their starting point. And then they came to Plymouth, Massachusetts some 500 years ago. And this is what his historian writes the account of that time. The Plymouth colonists and the local Indians shared an autumn harvest feast that is acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colonies. For more than two centuries, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated by individual colonies and states. It wasn't until 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day to be held each November. Slide two, please. Now, this is a, a picture of the Mayflower in which the colonists came. And it was a small ship. It carried about 102 passengers, not very many. It wasn't very big, very small. And um, the people that were on it, two groups of people, they were called the separatists. They're, they're, they're the pilgrims. And they were escaping religious persecution from England. They wanted to get from underneath the, the English government and King James during that time. And uh, it's kind of interesting when you really think about it because their journey didn't start in 1620. It started many years before that. They were being persecuted in England for their religious beliefs and they wanted to escape from it. And they all fled to, these hundred fled to Denmark. I never knew that. So they were in Denmark for several years and uh, they had a tough time there because they couldn't speak Danish. Um, so they struggled there for a few years, but they really couldn't take this trip yet until they acquired money. They needed some investors to be involved to help pay for that trip. Now, when you get on a cruise ship today, you can pay anywhere between 2000 a week to 20000 a week to take a cruise for one person. 
But in those days, they had to gather the finances in order to take this trip. It wasn't an easy thing. So finally, um, they heard that Spain was going to come to Denmark, and they said, wow, we don't want Spain to come in here because then we're going to be under the impression, under the, the, the hands of the, uh, the Catholics in Spain. And they didn't want that. So immediately, they gathered everything and came back to England. And then they got onto the ship in 1620 to come to the United States. They were here to seek a new home where they could freely practice their faith. And the other individuals that were lured by the promise of prosperity and land ownership, these were, they were known as the, um, oh, there's a term for it, I forget what it was. Anyway, these individuals, they were looking for land and prosperity. They had nothing to do with the separatists or the pilgrims at all. But they were on board and they came. And they helped also finance the trip. And so after a treacherous and uncomfortable crossing that lasts 66 days, just think, 66 days on that small ship. Now, I wanted to try to give you an idea what it was like to be on that ship with 100 people. Now, I, I snapshot a uh, cruise ship today. You know, this is a typical tr cruise ship. It might have three to 5,000 people on it. And uh, I superimposed on the front, I don't know if you can see it that well, right here, that first dot. I superimposed the Mayflower in front of the ship. And how I was able to do that is I saw people that are on that ship, on the Mayflower and on the cruise ship, and I shrunk it down to the same size as the people to give you an idea. So we can see the Mayflower would sit right on the bow of that ship. That's how small that ship was. Now, if I was going 66 days across the Atlantic in terrible weather, which ship do you want to be on? <laughs> Not a hard decision. But just think for these folks, you know, just getting aboard that ship, the unknown of sailing across the seas, not knowing what the seas would be, be like. Yet they stepped on board and waiting desperately to get to where they could practice their religion freely. So after the crossing, after 66 days, they dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod, far north of their intended destination at the mouth of the Hudson River. One month later, the Mayflower crossed Massachusetts Bay, where the pilgrims, as they now are commonly known, began the work of establishing a village at Plymouth. Throughout the first brutal winter, most of the colonists remained on the board ship where they suffered exposure, scurvy, outbreaks of contagious disease. Um, do all of you know what scurvy is? It's a term we don't hear too often these days, but it's a lack of vitamin C. And if you don't have vitamin C, it has a very destructive um, uh, result in your body as a result of not having, having vitamin C. So only half of the Mayflower's original passengers and crew lived to see their first New England spring. In March, the remaining settlers moved ashore. Now it's kind of interesting to see some of these settlers, you know, because there is a Mayflower group out there that are descendants of the Mayflower. And 
they do research on the Mayflower and they keep contact with all the descendants of the Mayflower and all these famous people that are there. And so then they all put all the surnames out there. And so I just got out there and looked out there to see if my name was out there. And it was. I was surprised. Ormsby is there. Kathy's uh, name was out there too, Swift. You might take a look at it just for fun. You know, see, you might be a descendant of the Mayflower. Um, so we see that um, some, the, once the weather broke, the remaining passengers and crews, they left the boat in March and they settled on shore. Uh, earlier, a Native American named uh, Squanato had been kidnapped by an English sea captain and sold into slavery before escaping to London and returning to his homeland on an exploratory expedition. He taught the pilgrims, who were weakened by malnutrition and English or uh, illness, how to cultivate the corn, extract, extract uh, maple, you know, the sap from maple trees, and catch fish in the rivers and avoid various poisonous plants. The first Thanksgiving celebration was held November 1621. After the pilgrim's first corn harvest proved successful, Governor William Bradford organized a celebratory feast and invited a group of the fledgling colonies, Native American allies. And the festival lasted three days. Now, can you imagine? Well, it kind of is like three days for us. How, how many days of leftovers do we have? <laughs> yeah. It's like we continue to celebrate three days after because we got all the food left over. But they celebrated for a total of three days in those days. Another uh, pilgrim historian, Edward Winslow, he wrote, Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling. Well, they're going out for a hunt. They're going out for hunt birds. That's what that means. And although it had uh, been not always so plentiful as it was at that time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are also so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Kind of gives you a flavor of the attitude of what it was like then. Okay, slide four. Now, this is usually what we see at Thanksgiving. Now, I kind of put different dishes out there. Now, the lower photo is, would be typical of Thanksgiving table that I would see that I grew up with. And I think some of you are kind of familiar with some of those foods. Lots of pies and gravy and turkey and uh, other things. And then there, the top photo is what uh, Filipinos would see or serve during their Thanksgiving. Next slide. And then here's some more. Uh, this is from uh, Japanese, Brazilian. Um, the other one, oh, more Filipino. This is what their table may look like and the different foods that they had in those days. Next slide. And um, of course, bread. You always have bread during Thanksgiving, right? I mean, there's nothing better than fresh baked bread. I love that smell. It just, man, it really gets the sensory, you know, things going on in your body about smelling that bread. Can't wait to get a hold of it. Um, 
The one picture shows the different styles of breads, but I don't, they didn't have this kind of bread in those days during the Mayflower. And even in biblical times, they didn't have that kind of bread. More typical is what you'd see in the other two photos with the table and the uh, picture above. You'd have kind of like flat bread. There's no yeast in it, just the flat bread. Next slide. And then in biblical times, what I did, just, just out of curiosity, what are some of the, the foods that they would eat during the biblical times? It was kind of a, lots of an array of foods, a great variety, and some of the foods I like, um, except for one, is a green lentil. You know, the top there is lentil, um, very common. Um, and Noad, you'll recognize the figs, since you've got a lot of figs in your yard. Figs is a favorite of many people. Kathy loves figs. And of course, honey was very common, you know, and available, and I love honey. Um, the other is melons. There were melons that were available in the biblical times, as well as pomegranates, leeks, garlics. They're all talked about in the scriptures. So we know those foods would be available for any kind of festivals or feasts that were given in those days. Okay. Thank you, Luke. Now, because the pilgrims, there was no oven on board the ship. They had no ovens available. So um, they had uh, a low sugar supply, and they dwindled in the fall of 1621. Um, the likelihood of them having any cakes or pies and such was pretty nil. They just didn't have the ingredients in those days. But we can see today, uh, today's meals are much different in contrast to the days of the pilgrims and to those in biblical times. Much different. Well, the pilgrims held their second Thanksgiving celebration in 1623 to mark the end of a long drought. They'd been threatened the year's harvest and prompted Governor Bradford to call for a religious fast. Days of fasting and Thanksgiving on an annual or occasional basis became common practice and other New England settlements as well. Although the concept of Thanksgiving developed in the colonies of New England, its roots can be traced back to England. Both the religious separatists who came over on the Mayflower and the Puritans who arrived soon after brought with them a tradition of days of fasting during difficult or pivotal, pivotal moments and days of feasting and celebration to thank God for times of plenty, end quote. So that's a historical account of the Mayflower. And, you know, looking back in our own history to the Bible, you know, I was curious to see how many references were there in the Bible on Thanksgiving. How many do you think there were? Five? Ten? 50, 75, 100, over 100 references of thanksgiving in the scriptures. And when you see that many references in the scriptures, it's something that we want to do, we want to practice. Because God likes to see thanksgiving 
in the lives of his creation. And just think, these are spanned over, you know, Thanksgiving has spanned over millennial, over a millennia, over cultures. And it's been around a long time. Slide eight. Well, we have some examples from the scriptures, and I'm not going to go through each one because I'd like you to do that. Spend some time because going through this is a fascinating study of how those respond to how God worked in the lives of those involved in each of these examples. It's amazing. And the first, we're going to talk about the parting of the Red Sea. Now, in Exodus 15, it gives the account of when Moses and the Israelites fled Egypt, and they were pursued by an Egyptian army. Now, just place yourself in that situation, okay? You got set free from Egypt, and then you got all of the Egyptian army on your tail and on your heels trying to get you back. And you're running like crazy, and you got all your goods stored up, and you're getting away as, as fast as you can, and you look past the dust behind you and you see this army coming. And then you look in the other direction, and what do you see? Have you ever gone out to Half Moon Bay and stood on the cliffs and looked out toward the west? Nothing but water. Just think, that's what it was like for them. Nothing but water. Yet, you could... They could probably hear the army coming. They saw the dust billowing up in the air. Yet now they're caught between the sea, and now they're caught between an army behind them. Yet we see how God miraculously parted that sea, and not only did he just part that sea, but it was completely dry. Now that's kind of unusual, isn't it? I would expect a big muddy mess, but it was dry. So here they get across, and then they get across, and then the army comes through. They get caught in between the walls of water, and what does the Lord do? Closes it up. All the Israelites, they pass safely to the other side. Well, when you read this epic miracle in Exodus 15, you see in this entire chapter of 15 um, how it's dedicated to praising God for the miraculous deliverance from the enemy. You know, Moses and Israel were careful to give God thanks for his protection. It's a great story. And it's not a fable, it actually happened. <laughs> Amazing story. Next slide. The next is an example through Daniel's life. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as you know, he had a dream. And of course, he solicited all his uh, mighty men to uh, come together to interpret the dream. 
And they were supposedly the wisest men he had in his council. But instead of telling them the dream, he requested that the men not only interpret the dream, but to also figure out on their own what the dream was all about. Now, have you ever been in a situation when somebody tries to explain something to you and you kind of scratch your head and you can't, I don't know what you mean. You want to know what? I've had this on the job where I was faced with a technical problem and I'm listening to what they're saying. I said, okay, I can define what, I can define what happened, but I really can't explain how it happened. What was this all about? Or explain what it meant. I've been there myself. And it's kind of an awkward, awkward time. But here we see even the wise men of Nebuchadnezzar, they couldn't explain this dream. Well, the servants of the king were not able to perceive the, the contents of this dream, nor interpret it. So the king was so angered by this, what did he do? He put them all to death. Now, when Daniel heard the news that he and the other wise men were to be slain, even that he did not know the, the king's desire for interpretation, Daniel requested that King Nebuchadnezzar give them a little time. And we know the story. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they prayed to God. They prayed to God to reveal to them the dream. And not only to reveal the dream, but its interpretation. Before Daniel returned to the king with the answer, he thanked God. Thank God for revealing to them the dream. And he did this even before he went to the king to tell the king of the interpretation. See, he took pause in his life. He took pause to give thanks to God for giving them the answer. And that's what God wants us to do. When something in our lives comes along, he wants us to take pause and to give him thanks. And sometimes we're so busy in our life, we don't take time to just stop and think, Lord, you're so good to me. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. Next slide. Next slide is the beautiful picture of the, the lepers in Luke 17. And we're all familiar with the story of 10 lepers. We just talked about it not too long ago, about the 10 lepers. And now the 10 lepers, um, it, you know, it's a terrible disease. And of course, in those days, there was no doctors that could, you know, provide any medication for it. They could provide nothing to heal you from it, okay? But we have these 10 that came to the Lord. And because they were unclean from the disease, they stood away from the rest of the crowd. And they still yelled out to Jesus, asking him to have mercy on them. He calls out, have mercy on us. And apparently they knew who he was and that he had the power to heal. 
And Jesus told them that they should go to the priest, which they were supposed to do. And the one who could declare them healed from their disease. And when they arrived at the priest, they all were made clean of their leprosy. They were healed. But the thing about this story, of the ten, only one returned to the Lord. Only one returned to give thanks to Jesus. Like what it says, he says he came to Jesus' feet and bowed down to him to show his gratitude for what had happened to their lives and his life. Even though many people are touched by Jesus, few give him the praise and glory that he deserves. Yeah, the problem still exists today. People don't take pause and stop and thank what God has done in your life and give him the thanks and the glory that is due his name because he's the one that made it possible. He provided the opportunity or he might have provided safety for you. You know, Kathy was just saying to me on the other day, you know, the traffic was horrendous. You know, and I'm saying, man, we got to get there, you know. She says, that's okay, maybe the Lord's keeping us from getting in an accident. How many of those situations you've been in, Nick? <laughs> you know, you think, wow, that could have been an accident if I'd been there, you know, five minutes earlier. But we give thanks to God how he works in our lives. He wants to receive the glory from us. Next slide. Well, if we look at these three events, we might think, well, how do we define thankfulness? What's the definition of it? And I have some suggestions. One is giving thanks is a personal choice. It's a personal choice that you make. It's something that you think about. It's something that you want to do. You're not forced to do it. It's a personal choice. And it's that conscious effort of the mind and will to remember how my life has been changed through the action of God and through others in my life. Now, why did I say through others in my life? You know, because God uses people in our lives to cause us to grow, to change. Another suggestion, it's an outward expression showing gratitude for favors, benefits, or mercies. And it's an acknowledgement of benefits received. How so? Some of you are really good at sending note, thank you notes. Some of you are really good at making a phone call and saying thank you. Some send emails. And when you get those little notes of gratitude, aren't you blessed by that? Aren't you thankful for that? You know, that they took that time and that effort to say thank you for doing whatever that was that they did. I'm always pleased with it. I love it when Kathy says, hey, we got a note from, you know, Sharon, or we got a note from, you know, Dorothy. I love it. Got a note from you, Elizabeth. It was encouraging. Those are encouraging notes. 
So what are the characteristics of thankfulness? One, next slide. Actions are not done to self-edify. It's not for me. It's not for personal gain. And all our efforts are done out of the joy of honoring the Lord Jesus. That's the whole point. It's honoring him. Not to bring focus on ourselves, but to honor him. That's the purpose. And another thing that we can think about, too, as a characteristic is it's an everyday activity for a believer. It's not something done once a year or occasionally, but it's an everyday activity for a believer, and it's specific. Now, as we look at the scriptures, slide 13, we look at the scriptures, there's over 100 references, and what I've done is I've pulled out some thoughts for you, um, some references of thanksgiving in the scriptures that you could practically look at and think about when you're faced with different situations in your life where you can give thanks. Can everybody see that? It's kind of small, but... Um, the first one, and I kind of categorize them. One is to give thanks for your health. Are you thankful for your health? Even though sometimes, you know, we go through terrible times or we have afflictions now, we still have our health. And we read about the leper. Or Romans 16, 4, where it says, giving thanks for those who come to our aid. You know, I like what it says here, where Paul says, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also to all the church, all the churches of the Gentiles. They risk their life. See, Paul recognized that there were those that were involved with his life to save him from various circumstances in his life. When you have a, someone in your life that's willing to risk their life for you in a situation, you are very thankful because it could be life-threatening. Or recognizing the source of our salvation in 1 Corinthians. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. See, there's recognizing the source of our salvation. It's Christ who gives us our salvation. He won the victory at the cross. How about the attitude of a believer toward others? It says in Ephesians, Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That was Paul. Always thinking about the saints and the churches in the early day church giving thanks for them. And as I look at the, the folks here, you know, they're here and the Rumwelds and the Chavis, they're here. I give thanks for you for what you started here with the Brutons and Jeannie and your family. Just think of what you've done here and what's left here and it's still going. We give thanks for you for what you've done in this assembly to make it what it is. And it's good you're here today, but we give you thanks for your efforts and your work. Uh, for some of you that don't know 
the Chavis and Romwells and Jeannie, they were involved in starting the first church here. Mission Peak Bible Chapel. And we thank you for, we thank them for being involved with us and helping us through as we started to grow and we were looking for a place and we give you thanks. But that's the way it was with Paul. You know, he had a heart of gratitude toward those who helped. And he let them know about that. And I look at others out there, you know, think of Mary, all your, your times that you've helped here, and Dorothy, and Angelo, and Nick, and Megan, all these years. And Many people have been involved here in this assembly, and Matt, and all the Robertsons. Where's all the Robertsons clan today? We thank, thank all the Robertsons and, and Jen for all her work. And you know, she, she does a lot of this communication stuff. She does all this social networking stuff. She does a good job in that. We thank you for all of that, Jen. Thank you so much. And getting the, the goodies out there all prepared. We thank Sharon for all her efforts for working with the kids here and seeing their lives grow up in Christ. We appreciate Sharon for that and continuing to press on. We always want to give thanks to those who are involved in the churches. For all those that are here in this room, I know you've been involved. If I forgot names, forgive me. Age. <laughs> um, slide 14. As far as uh, Thanksgiving, it should be part of our character. Giving thanks. That's what the Lord says. Give thanks. That's something that we should do. That should be our character as a believer. Um, Give thanks to others in Colossians 1. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always. You know, and, and you see when you say that, praying for you always, there's that conscious effort thinking about other individuals, not just yourself. It's thinking about others, right? And you're thanking others for how they've influenced your, your life. I think of those influence my life a lot too, is like Joanna. Joanna keeps me straight and honest. <laughs> I love Joanna. If you ever want to know the truth, just talk to Joanna. She'll let you know right away. Right, Joanna? <laughs> I love Joanna. And of course, giving thanks for our salvation in 2 Thessalonians, but we are bound to give thanks to God for you always. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. It's a wonderful thing to give thanks to those who have been saved. And I think many in this room that have been saved and what a joyful time that was to see them come to salvation in the Lord. There's nothing greater. And that's a great day of thanksgiving. Even the angels in heaven rejoice. 
when someone gets saved. That's a good thing. And when you hear of those that do get saved, I'm sure your heart rejoices too. Especially for those you've prayed for for many years. I know Mary, Mary's prayed for people for many years and later on they've gotten saved. It's amazing. But it's a real time of rejoicing. I love to see, see, uh, or, um, see her just get so joyful at the thought of someone getting saved. It's like another Thanksgiving. And uh, I like what it says in Hebrews 13, 15. It says, always give thanks. It's not a part-time activity. You notice that? As you read through the scriptures, never ceasing, always, key words, right? Always give thanks. Therefore, by him... Let him continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That should be our occupation. That's what we do as believers. Slide 15. Our focus. Sometimes we need to stop in our busy life and focus on the things of the Lord and focus on God's people and focus on some of the things or the trials that individuals that you know in the assembly or outside of the assembly that are going through. It's time to focus on those things. Maybe missionaries that you know, they're going through trials. New believers are going through trials. Saints in the assembly that are having health issues. It's time to stop, pause, and focus. And we see in 2 Samuel, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord. That's the way we need to be. We need to give thanks to those that we, that we know and love. And also give thanks to the Lord as well for bringing these individuals in our lives. Because the Lord brought those people into your lives for a reason. It's not just a chance. It's not by mistake. There's a reason. And he wants us to remember those individuals before the Lord. In Psalm 97, 12, it says, Being thankful shows the character of our hearts. It shows, you, shows everyone around you who you are. It shows the Lord your character. Because it says, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. It really shows who we love, who we worship, and who we honor. And we do it in his name. And I like this too. Many times we go on trips before we even, you know, turn the car on, hands of the steering wheel, we say, let's give thanks for our traveling. And that was common in the Old Testament. We see in Psalm that where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. As they traveled, they gave thanks to the Lord. And then the last, giving thanks, it changes the heart. There's a cause, of, there's a cause and effect of what giving thanks does. It does something to us. Does something inside of us, it changes our heart. 
It's good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High. Now, when you hear a, a, a hymn and you, you're involved in singing that hymn, what does it do to you? Does it bring joy? Does it bring worship? Does it bring focus to the things of the Lord? Yeah, it changes our heart. Next slide. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, just, uh, we'll delete that one for now. Just go blank right now. Yep, okay, thank you. Well, ask yourselves, when should we show Thanksgiving? Well, there's a psalm that I was kind of hard-pressed to share this with you, but I'm going to do it anyway because it hit me hard, too. Um, when should we give Thanksgiving? Yeah, the Lord's pretty specific here. Um, it says in Psalm 119, you ready for this? At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. <laughs> when at midnight? Are you a night person? At midnight. And he's going to do it. It says here, I will give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. And then in Ephesians 5.20, it says, giving thanks always in all things. Now, that's this big, isn't it? Giving thanks. And then when you add all things, that's pretty broad. But that's what it means, in all things. Not just the simple things. First and foremost, giving thanks, it's our practice. That's what we should do. It's our practice. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks. And there's a command after it, which is interesting. For this is the will of God. <laughs> That's his will. That's what he desires of us. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And when we do that, it reflects what our true character is like. People see what we're really like. Not what we say, but what we're really like. Second, <clears throat> it's a reflection of our changed life in Christ. We're born again. We have a new creature says in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. We see here thankfulness is a sign of a changed life. We're different. In slide 17, finally, just think about that. Even the simple things we should be thankful for. The shoes you wear, the shoes you need, a shirt you might need, pants you need. That's what I remember from Bill McDonald. I think I've mentioned this. He prayed for everything. I was so impressed by that. You know, even a pencil or a pen, you know, he'd pray for those things. And I, and I actually questioned him as a young believer when I was traveling around with Bill I'd say, uh, why do you pray for that? He says, Howard, everything I have is from the Lord. I pray for everything I have. Because when you do that, 
you see his hand working in your life. You see him actively working in your life when you see these things answered from prayer. The other thing, don't reserve your praise to God for only the big things. Okay? So easy to do that. And recognize that God is the giver of all good gifts in our life, great and small. Next slide. And I like this to close. We are to be examples of Him. We are the first fruits of Him. Where it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own, he, will, um, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Be examples. Be examples. We're going to have a song that we started out with. And we'll play it through. And as we start thinking about being thankful, just quietly in your own heart, think of things that you're thankful of when this hymn is being played. There's a lot to be thankful for, you know, for, for uh, thankful to the Lord for. And um, again, I appreciate all the saints here in this assembly. And I've seen the Lord bless you in many ways work in your lives in many ways. And I want to thank each one of you here for being part of our life. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for the deacons that have been faithful over the years. Thank you for the Long family and their devotion and their love for the Lord here as being a deacon. And, and uh, you as well, Matt. And also... Uh, thank you for all the, the technical things that you do. And uh, I just appreciate all of you. All right, go ahead and play the, uh, that hymn. And again, as you think quietly in your own heart, just think of things that you can thank God for. <laughs>